6, excuse me, it's a very passionate uh, passage to me. Uh, Luke 6, 46 through 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you've been following um, uh, a series of just sad events in our country and around the world. We spoke about these shootings in Charleston. Uh, there was also a horrible tragedy in uh, China. I don't know if you heard about this. This boat on the Yangtze, it was a cruise ship, and a, a tornado came up from nowhere, and the thing capsized. 450 people killed on this boat uh, due to this uh, storm. And, uh, you know, they searched for uh, survivors, but there was none to be found. The collapse, if you will, was great. Well, they tried to figure out what, what was wrong. I mean, this was a boat that was supposed to be sailing on waters. It's designed for storms and so forth. Well, they discovered the issue of it was the boat wasn't really meant for the high seas. It, it really doesn't have a bottom to it, it it's a, or a keel. It's a shallow boat. And so when the wind came, when the storm came, it had no purchase underneath the water and essentially flipped over like a toy boat. It was not designed for the storm that came. You know, foundations are important, aren't they? Whether it's a foundation for your boat, foundation for your house, or a foundation for your life. We discussed the boat, but there's another s slide I want you to see. It's of a very, very famous uh, lighthouse, <clears throat> which is off the coast of France. And this is a giant storm as well. And yet, as we see this little fellow in yellow, he appears to be drinking coffee and enjoying a balmy day at the beach. Why? Because that lighthouse is built on the foundation of rock. And so we give foundations little credit because we can't see them. But at the end of the day, they are the, really, the things that either make us stand or fall. Jesus wants to talk about foundations, and not the foundations of a boat or of a house, but the foundations of your life. He's been speaking in this Sermon of the Plain. He's been speaking to the disciples and also this crowd that has come together. And he's been talking about blessings if you follow and obey Christ and woes if you do not. He's been talking about judging a tree by its fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad. And he finishes and summarizes this entire teaching with this final illustration. A storm that comes up and tests what you have built, either leading to success and strength or disaster and failure. There is a group that is listening to this passage and I want to suggest to you that this crowd is not too dissimilar from us. And so we must do what the crowd does. We must examine what we say. For Jesus says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what we say? Do what he says. We must examine not only what we say, but we must examine how we build. 
everybody builds a foundation, we must take a look at ours. And finally, we must examine the results. What we've spoken and what we've built, ultimately, will it stand or fail? Well, let's look at the first point. Examine what you say. Would you imagine this crowd that is all around Jesus? And I don't know if you've read the scriptures or not, but he seemed to gather quite a crowd. Because of his teaching, because of his miracles, there's a giant crowd. And the crowd can be basically split up with three different types of people. Number one, there's the twelve disciples. Those who have said, we're all in. Jesus has called them to follow them and they are his disciples going with him everywhere. Then there's a larger group of disciples or followers. They believe Jesus Christ is a prophet. They believe he's a teacher. They believe in his teachings. They've come to hear from this one who they believe is the Messiah or the prophet. And there's a final group and these are the bystanders. They've maybe come because they have hope that Jesus will heal them. They maybe have come because they want to see him work a miracle, but they've come. And so Jesus has these three crowds who have come for different reasons. And Jesus lists a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you? Well, the first question we have to ask is, who is the who that Jesus is talking about? Who is the you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's not the bystanders, right? Because they don't necessarily call Jesus Lord, Lord. They're there for the show or for the healing. No, he's, the you are those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Those who respect Christ. They call Him Lord. Indeed, they even call Him Lord, Lord for emphasis. They have put Him in that position where He is the King. And not only have they done that in their hearts, but they have done it publicly. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord? They've spoken in front of Christ. They've spoken in front of the crowd. I'm with this one. They're not bystanders. And so we have to ask the question then, if we know the you, we have to ask the question, why? Why, Jesus says, do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do, don't do what I say? You know, on the surface of it, it seems obvious, doesn't it? It's a simple question. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? It's an A doesn't equal B. It's anything that a child could understand. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's almost like Jesus is incredulous that there would be a question even about this. You hear him, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? His question is filled with incredulity and it's also a rebuke to the people. Why do you call me Lord? So these people, they understand this concept of Lord. What is Lord? You know, in our democratic republic, we don't fully understand that word, but if he were to play the tape back, the Lord is the King. The Lord, even more so in the Jewish culture, is the Messiah, the one who is God's anointed. He's not only the king, he's the godly king. And this Lord has commands. A variety of commands. In fact, everything that Jesus says is some sort of command. It's either a command to believe or assent to, or Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And to obey is to assent to that truth that yes, indeed, Jesus, you are. He gives commands that we have to respond to. 
love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, do good. All of these things are commands, they're not requests. They're not for observation, they're for participation. And then finally, Jesus gives promises. Promises of what will happen if you believe, that if you put your hope in Christ, that you will be saved, that you will be a child of God. They're an implicit command. Will you believe? Will you put your hope on this? And so they say that they will. But the reality is what they're speaking and what they're saying are very different. This Lord appears to be to them a mute Lord. It's more like an idol, you know. He's sort of the person they put on the pedestal, but he really doesn't speak. He really doesn't ask anything. And Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. You know, it's actually Matthew 21 that is the parallel passage to this. And it's, sometimes it's good to look at parallel passages because it brings out other things. In Matthew, same first part, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So Jesus actually extends his teaching. It's not only why do you call me Lord and not do what I say. It's why do you call me Lord and you've done all these righteous acts and yet you haven't done what he said. Seems kind of strange, right? Seems like they're doing the right thing and yet Jesus says you haven't done what I've said. Indeed, away from you. See, we're discovering that these righteous acts that they have supposedly done in Jesus' name are not actually obedience. They've seemed to substitute religion for obedience. Somehow, Jesus is saying they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. How do we separate this? I mean, prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles in the Lord's name. The reason things actually count. What Jesus is saying is, you're not doing my will in order to worship. You're not doing these things to bear testimony to my name. Rather, you're doing them to bear testimony to yours. And so Jesus is showing it's not only your hands and what you do, no matter how unbelievable, it's your heart from which they come that the inward actions are actually more important than the outward. Now God surely uses wicked people to accomplish things. He uses them as He wants. But the people are trying to use them, Him as He wants. See, at the end of the day, these people who call Him Lord, these people who do righteous acts, they recognize who He is, but they don't recognize who they are or the recognize whose they are. You see, He's the King, they get that. He's just not ours. We know people like this, don't we? Perhaps we're one of them. We know who He is, but we don't know who we are. We don't know whose we are. And so we play the religion game. You know, we make much in this country about making a verbal profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Ever gone? I, I know in ministry in different places, we went and 20 people gave their life to Christ. They made a profession of faith. 
we count the success of an evangelistic opportunity or a, a big tent revival under who said yes to Jesus. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's not simply what you say, but it is what you do that lines up with what you say. The motives. This is the ultimate question, right? Not simply calling Lord, Lord. See, we can't fool God as much as we would try with this shell game, right? Names for actions. We can only fool ourselves. Ultimately, it's the motive that will prove true. I think there's a lot of frustration in our country with uh, the political sphere. I think one of the biggest challenges, the reason people have lost faith with politics is because they say one thing and they do the other. Maybe you have a boss like this. He tells you one thing and yet he does the other thing. There's a lot of people that don't like people like me because there are multiple examples. You can take your pick if you go on the internet of people like me that preached a certain gospel but didn't live it. And as a result, we tend to look at everything with a sense of hypocrisy, a sense of incredulity, without ever examining the fact that maybe we do the exact thing ourselves. And so Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so I'm here to tell you today that now is the time to examine what you say. Do I call Him Lord? Do I even call Him Lord, Lord? But not to stop there, but to continue not examining just what you say, but examining what you do. Is there a synchronization between my life and my words? If I was to put my life on this screen, and I was to put my words on this screen, would they be ultimately the same? One in verbal form and one in pictorial form. You know, as it said, your life is speaking so loud, I cannot hear what you are saying. And so the last thing I want you to do is leave without examining what you're saying. Because your do must equal your say, and your heart must equal your head. This brings me to my second point, to examine what you say and also to examine how you build. You know, how do we know that we're not fooling ourselves, right? We need some sort of litmus test so we can examine the truth. You know, we can deceive ourselves. I do it all the time. And so Jesus gives an illustration and a darn good one at that. Everyone who comes to me and hears me Here's my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. See, the first part that he was talking about is saying and not doing. But now he's talking about hearing and not doing. Why is this one more important? Well, in the first one, I can say, I can give a testimony. I can give an affirmation and then not. But in the second, I have no voice, do I? I can make no proclamation. It's simply, here comes the message, what am I going to do with it? No faking out the Lord. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word, I will show you what he is like. If you hear it and don't do it, there is no defense. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And so we have a man here. He wants to build a house. But the primary question for him is not what kind of house to build. Think about it. In our country, you can pretty much build a house anywhere if you can buy the land from our construction techniques. But he doesn't seem to care as much about what house he's going to build as to where he is going to place it. In fact, there's only one qualification for building this house. That it needs to be on the rock. The man understands that the house is vulnerable. It appears to be near some sort of water. And so it's the foundation that determines the location. Not wherever he wants to put it. And so he begins. He identifies a proper location. And he is like a man who built a house, building a house, excuse me, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. I can imagine all the neighbors that are sort of looking at this guy. He says he's going to build a house, and yet he proceeds to go down instead of up. Instead of seeing the edifice that rises into the sky, all we see is dirt coming out of a hole. Surely this man isn't building some sort of uh, hobbit home or something like that. He said he wanted, which was in the side of a hill, poor illustration, Carlos, strike that from the record. No, he's building deep. And it appears to be taking a fair amount of time. This work is not easily seen, is it? wonder if maybe he suffers a couple of jokes from the community. Where exactly is this house? When is it going to be built? But he decides not to start on top, but to start on the bottom. You know, I wonder if it was easy to stop for the man after a while, you know? You go out there, it's not like there's a bulldozer. He's shoveling and shoveling, trying to find that rock. He knows it's down there. He's obviously taken some sort of sounding. But for a while, it seems as if he's getting nowhere. Anybody ever built a house or done an addition to a house? I have. It's a horrible process. I recommend never doing it. First, you get a contractor. Okay, and the contractor, and you get the plans, you discuss it, you pay all the money up front, not knowing if you're going to get anything in the end. I'm just kidding. If you're a contractor, you, you, can, you can hit me after this service, please. I love contractors. They're my best friends. Um, as I continue, the contractor begins to work. And the issue is, the contractor isn't getting anything done. He's surely working by the hour, and yet he comes and nothing happens. He's clearly sleeping on the job. He's watching movies on his iPhone. You get frustrated. The weather comes along, nothing's been done, the trench fills up, whatever it is he's doing down there, and then ultimately, there still is nothing. And right at the time when you're ready to fire him, it begins. In the space of three days, it's unbelievable. Out of the ground, like, like a plant from the soil, it rises. The sticks, the framing, the covering, it's just like that. You can't believe how fast. If he would have just started earlier, we could have already been living in it. But he understands that this is a process. It doesn't happen in a day. See, what Jesus is saying is that this man is not building a house. He's building a life. 
I find it interesting that Jesus never really talks about the building, does he? He only talks about the foundation. In fact, it really doesn't matter what the house is. If the foundation is strong, it appears that the house will be strong too. That something strong and that will last will be built, not because of what is above, but what is below. And so if the foundation is right, the building will be right. It's quite simple, really. So forget about the pendant lighting and the drapes and all of those things in the beginning. They will all come. Because it's quite simple. It doesn't really make it easy. Well, that brings me to the second man. The second man heard as well. And he didn't do the words. And he's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Now, by the way, the man, the first man, his house looked like everybody else's house, didn't it? It was the same one. They all looked the same. Until a flood arose. The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. See, this hurricane, this uh, Yangtze-like hurricane that destroyed this boat came against this house. The wind came. The waters rose. And yet, it did not shake it. Indeed, it could not shake it, says the word here. It sure tried, but it tried and it failed because it was built on the foundation. That's how a foundation works. But the man who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. He heard it, but he didn't do it. In fact, it appears that this man gave no consideration whatsoever about where to put the house. It was like he saw a beach and said, I'm going to put it here. In fact, I'm going to put it in front of everyone because my waterfront view will be better than everyone. Ha! Why would they build it back there when you can build it right here? He gave no consideration to underneath the house. He just decided to skip that step. Now, why would he do that? You can really only think of two reasons. Number one, there's never going to be any bad weather. It's all going to be sunny. We don't need a strong foundation. Or number two, I want to focus on the above ground house because that's what everybody sees. Nobody really sees what's underneath. They only see what's above. And thus, I want to make sure that the presentation of this house, of this life, is beautiful. But we know what happens, don't we? That what the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You know, the flood did come, an identical flood. In fact, it might have been that night that the flood came for both houses. And we see that it immediately fell. There was no strength to withstand it. Indeed, the ruin was immediate and right from the beginning. This is Jesus' point. Are you ready? What was the test for the houses? It was the storm. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? The test for your life and what's really on the inside where you have really put your trust will only come to light when the storm comes. What the storm does is reveal not only the storms of life, that surround us and to be sure there are storms in life if you haven't received one yet you will but Jesus is also talking about the ultimate storm 
The storm of judgment. The storm when your life is weighed in the balance. When your life is measured, what you built your life upon. It's a storm that all must go through. Indeed, Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. You know, Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth. He came to bring good news. But Jesus came that the thoughts of many would be revealed. Indeed, remember in the temple, as the prophet said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many. And so Jesus comes and says that ultimately there will be a storm. Will you build your house upon the foundation of my life and my words or on something else? See guys, trials that we have in our life as believers are not to punish us. Indeed, even for unbelievers, trials are to test us to test the house we live in, to give a little bit of a shake. It's in the storm that we see how firmly our feet are planted and how firm our foundation is. It's in the storms of life. When you get the phone call from the doctor or the policeman or from your wife, from your kids, from the world, and your life is shaken when ultimately you will see whether you will stand or not. They're simply warm-ups for the test. You know, I wonder what the night was for those two guys. They're both sitting in their Barca lounger, watching ESPN. Starts to rain, just like it did last night. Just the pitter-patter of rain, it's a nice evening shower. But then it gets louder and louder and louder and the wind begins to whistle in that way that you can hear when it's going through the trees and maybe there's a little crack somewhere in your house still quiet for the man in the house on the foundation of the rock right that's a storm he looks out looks back on his TV the man starts sweating because the noise starts to get louder And he looks up and he sees this dripping going on from his roof. And the house begins to sway a little bit as the wind is flowing and pushing. And he is alarmed. He didn't think this was going to happen. He thought his foundation was strong. But not long after, his house fell with a great crash and its ruin was complete. Immediately, Indeed, he didn't even get out alive. The other man went to sleep at peace, much like that man in the lighthouse on the lee of the storm. And so you must choose your words carefully, what you say. And you must also choose what you build. You've got to set down the foundation of your life on something. Are you spending all of your time building a house above? I want the nice wooden trim, the architectural shingles. I want the beautiful foyer and the spiral staircase. Or have you decided, it's not what house I'm going to build, it's where I'm going to build my house. 
Because I believe if I build it in the right place, the house will come up. And so I will look down and not up. Who will be able to weather the storm? The one who has chosen the right location. And so you must choose your location and then you must look down. You must start digging the hole. Jesus says, whoever hears my words and does them, Indeed, the word does is a present participle. It actually is whoever hears my words and is doing them. Life, my friends, is digging. Every day there's a storm, isn't there? There's a challenge. But continuing to set our feet upon the rock, the rock isn't moving, is it? Continuing to make my footsteps firm, we must look down. And we must build And only when we look down, we can look up. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're hearing and not doing. But maybe you're looking for a foundation that will never fail. God's Word comes with a command that if you set your feet upon me, that if you hear my words and do them, you will be like a man who built his house on a rock. I sure would love to live a life like that guy. No matter what comes at me. And it's not all pie in the sky, is it? But I can put my head on my pillow at night because my God's foundation will sustain me. This brings me to my final point, which is to examine your work. You know, these two gentlemen doesn't appear that there was a difference in how much money they had. Right? Wasn't a question. I actually was in Nicaragua last week on a missions trip and a friend was building a house all concrete and, and steel. I'm going, why are, you, why are you doing all this? This is overbuilding. He said, we live in a land of volcanoes. If you don't build strong, it's going to come down. But in Nicaragua, as you're driving in different streets, you see these shanties, these tin roofs, these corrugated houses that have no foundation. And the rain comes and it washes it away and they grab it and they put it together. See, we aren't, the issue for us is not enough wealth, enough talent, enough skill, enough insight. You can build wherever you want. And my friends, Jesus has come to tell you that I have laid a foundation for you. Did Jesus not go into the tomb? Into the rock? Down? And illustrate an invincible life by digging a foundation and rising out of it? Did Jesus not lay the timbers for the house from the beams of the cross? Did He not illustrate His love for us? His care for us. His desire for us to build a house that would last. The house of the Christian is forged by the beams and the nails of Christ and nourished by the blood that He shed on the cross. Because at the end of the day, this is all about grace. It's all about dependence. Setting your feet. Who would dare let you set their feet on them. Our King is not so proud. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And so I conclude with these thoughts. What are you saying? Lord, Lord, He's my Lord. He's my King. Well then what are you doing? Are you committed to the rock? His words are my rock. Sure, it's bumbling and stumbling. We can't just take this passage in isolation. The Scriptures say we will sin. The Scriptures say we will screw up. But the difference is we will continue to set our feet upon the rock. We will not give up because our feet are planted on the one. And to our death, He is Lord, Lord. And if I perish, I perish. How will you build? And then finally examine the results. Do you have peace in your life? Even if your world is caving all around you. It's not all rosy, I'm not saying that. But there's a confidence that comes that your feet stand on a foundation that will never be shaken. That's when you can lay your head on your pillow. And you could walk out in the midst of the tsunami and say, it's going to be okay. My prayer for you is that you would build your house on the foundation. That your life and your words would match up in such a way that when people saw you, they would want to follow Jesus too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this illustration. It's so simple, but that doesn't make it easy. Lord, the only way we can build on You is that we know that You'll sustain us. We know that You'll care for us. We know that You'll lift us up. But You have proven to us time and time again, Lord, how great a love that You would sacrifice Yourself. The foundation is built. It's called the tomb. The beams are laid. It is Your cross. From that, Lord, we can rise to heaven. And so, Lord, give us the courage, give us the strength, and give us the wisdom to build our life on a foundation that will never, ever fail. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.